Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens and the Chicago Bulls are going to the NBA Finals. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. Wait a minute. <laughs> My bad. That's the Miami Heat are going to the NBA Finals. I mean, you'd think with the way Bulls Nation's been following the Heat that uh, this would be the Bulls going in. But no, Jimmy Butler, the Miami Heat, take care of business. After going up 3 nothing, falling the next three games and, and and suffering a stunning loss in game six. They come back, win game seven, and it's a big testament to the Miami Heat. So um, before we kind of get into all that, just for you, Drew, looking at this run Miami's gone on, because you can't dodge it. Like, no matter what team you're podcasting about, this was, I think, just an amazing run against amazing opponents and for them to in certain cases, take care of business the way they have has been really impressive for a team that was on the ropes against our Chicago bulls in the play-in tournament. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's been phenomenal to what the second ever eighth seed to make it to the finals mm-hmm. first ever playing team to make it to the finals. The Bulls had them on the ropes with what a little over three minutes left in the fourth quarter of the the, the final play-in game. So I mean, this this run that they've been on, it it really is it's incredible. And and the fact that Jimmy Butler is leading it, a guy who we all know very well here in town, who will probably be the one who got away from most, if not you know, all of Bulls Nation until the day he retires. Even after that, we'll be telling stories about. Jimmy Butler and arguing about, you know, what type of player he could have been here and if the Bulls should have should have kept him. For him to be the one leading the charge is it's it just makes it that that much more juicier of a story. You know, mm-hmm. um I don't I don't am I too not too proud to say that I am a Jimmy Butler fan. I don't know that I necessarily go as hard for him as some other other people, but I'm definitely a fan of his. Salim Sarawala. Um, <laughs> the type of player that he's he's made himself into and more than anything just his competitiveness like how can you not appreciate and admire what he does to try to will his team to a victory although he made more than a few guarantees during this this series against Boston and they didn't always go his way he ended up getting the W the one the last one to clinch the the series obviously and you know, that plus the whole thing about uh, Miami buying tickets to, to Denver before the game started. It's just it's the mindset. It's just it's refreshing. It's, it's, it's like, man, this this is the type of team and the type of star superstar leader that you can really get behind and feel good about doing it. You know, um, and, you know, I've kind of had this evolution, I think, uh, when it's come to Jimmy Butler, like. With him, I always thought he was an all-star that you could have during a championship run, but you kind of needed that extra alpha top-tier superstar, right? Like the Kevin Durant, the LeBron James of the world to pair with the Jimmy Butler. I always thought that was the path for him. Uh, but you got to admit that when you take your game up another level, especially when it comes to playoff time, that's what superstars do. That's what alphas do. And I kind of wrote off the 2020 bubble. I've I've made that known. I felt like, man, a lot broke their way in the bubble. 
Like try doing what try doing that in Milwaukee. Well, fuck, they just did that. <laughs> okay. And then to do what they did against the Knicks, right? They they took care of business against some some tough opponents, although I guess we can argue about New York a little bit, but um to do what you did against you know, the top seed and then the the second seed in the Eastern Conference, probably the two Eastern Conference favorites to handle them the way you did is impressive. Even, you know, going up 3-0, losing the next three, having to go to a game seven, still it's massively impressive what they did to get to this point. And Jimmy Butler led the way. You know, that heat culture, it's real, man. Like, and it's always been there. And I think, I'll be honest, like with, with Jimmy Butler, it did make a lot of sense when they made that that acquisition. Because I'm sure a guy like Pat Riley and Eric, and Eric Spolster probably also looked at it and said, this is somebody that fits our culture. His only issue is that he wants to win. Like, what's so bad about that, right? In, in an organization like the Bulls, where they had fragile leadership at the top, they couldn't handle that, right? The, the guys up at top, the Gar Foremans of the world, the Fred Hoybergs, the John Paxons, they couldn't handle that, all right? He gets to to Minnesota. Fibs could handle it, but everybody up the the food chain probably couldn't handle it. It's always been a weak organization in Minnesota. You get to the Sixers, same deal. Coach that's too fragile to handle with Jimmy Butler, a, a you know executive that's too fragile to handle Jimmy Butler. And perfect spot like Miami. Eric Spolster isn't probably afraid to get into Jimmy Butler's face. Pat Riley probably same thing. So. That was to me like for them, the tone setter for everything they needed to to get to the point they're at because I think they they always push players right and that's I think always been a Pat Riley thing is trying to get the most and maximize the potential of every player on the roster and Eric Spolstra has done the same thing you know the, the Miami Heat have identified those guys and Jimmy Butler is the perfect kind of player to also be that kind of motivator on the floor. I think that's what what's kind of raised all boats here, right? So you got to give Jimmy Butler credit. And (laughs) I've it's taken me, I think, years to finally come around and admit I I was wrong. I was wrong about Jimmy Butler. And I, I think at the time when he was traded by the Bulls, um, the biggest reason I backed it was I more because I didn't have faith in Garpax at the time to to really build a roster. So I mean, it was the only path to recouping assets. I thought the Bulls had better luck with the bounce of a lottery ball than they did with trying to build something around Jimmy Butler. That was my concern. I never really cared about paying him like a max deal or anything like that. I, I probably would have been like, oh, that's a bit of an overpay. But I never care about paying guys as long as I can continue to add to the roster in some way. So, you know, I will though admit that I think I was even wrong about where Jimmy was in the in the stratosphere of of top tier talent in the NBA because you, you got to give him you got to give him his flowers right now, and you got to give credit to the Miami Heat. Um, it, but the matchup against Denver that's a tricky one because I got to admit Denver's also I think playing at an elite level and now they've been sitting back waiting and game planning. Yeah, this (laughs) 
if, if the, the Celtics were a difficult matchup for the Heat, the Denver Nuggets seem like they're going to be even more so. Um, and obviously, it's all going to revolve around Nikola Jokic and, and what the Heat can do to slow him down and figure out whether or not they'll be better off making him a scorer or a passer. Um, seems like making him a scorer would be the best option. But then, you know, they still have an awesome complement of players around him. Um, I think the Heat still game one. I, mm. I think I'm going to go with Denver being a little rusty and the Heat just still kind of riding high off of this playoff run they've been on. Mm-hmm. But after that, I really don't have a, a ton of faith that they just have enough to to win four games against um, the Nuggets to, to win a championship. Well, you know, like, I think the thing that I look at, too, like everybody talks about the, the Heat's, you know, zone defense, right? And the way you beat it, I mean, best way to beat a zone is shooting, right? And we saw with Boston struggling, um, that I think you, you get that with with Denver, but then you also get the the Jokic factor, right? If you have a center that can also break the zone, and, and Jokic is the perfect type of center to do that, so it's it's going to be tough. I feel like they're going to have to pick their poison, right? Do you let Jokic beat you, or do you let and try to stop everybody else, or do you try to stop everybody else? And if Jokic beats you, then you just tip your cap and say, hey probably the the best player on the floor beat us. Uh, and that's not yeah. an indictment on Jimmy Butler. I think it's just, it just speaks to how good Dinkle Jokic has been. And especially this season, I feel like Jokic has been probably his most aggressive this year. And it's it's interesting cuz you know, his previous two MVP years had great seasons, but I feel like this year it's almost been like he's even taken it another level. I think even in just in terms of his own shot creation. So it's going to be, a, I think, a fun series. I, I do, I could see them stealing, you know, game one, the heat, but I would not be surprised if this goes six, you know, and that's not a cop-out. I always love to say that people who say six games, it's always kind of a cop-out, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, not quite seven, but better than the, you know, getting swept or the gentleman sweep. But yeah. I could see this going like six games because I just feel like Miami's going to probably be able to squeak some, you know, a game or two out, I think, of this series. And um, I'll, I'll probably say Denver in, in six. Um, if Denver sweeps Miami, I think you still got to tip your cap to Miami. And I'm sure Miami's not going to go down, you know, getting completely trounced either. I think it'll be some tough games in there. So, yeah, yeah we'll. All right. Uh, I think it'll be similar to um, the way they beat the Lakers, where they didn't they didn't necessarily they weren't blowing them out every game. I think, what was it, a 20-point difference uh, yeah. combined in the four games? So I think they'll be close games. Um, I just don't know. As great of a coach as Eric Spoelstra is, that Rubik's Cube over there just does mm-hmm. not seem, at least for the pieces that the Heat have, to try to stop what the, the Nuggets can do. I don't, I don't know if they – I don't know if they have it. I don't know. Yeah, but then you- again, who knew they had – enough to get to this point, you know? Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, we, we've been silenced every series, right? Like I'd say aside from the Knicks series, I think there was folks picking Miami to knock off New York, but you know, in the first round, nobody predicted that. 
Like no, nobody predicted they were going to go into Milwaukee and win it in five games. Um, and I don't think anybody predicted what we saw against the Celtics. So, you know, I, I think what we said in the, in the podcast, or at least I remember saying is I could see this going six or seven with Miami, but I did not think that the Celtics would, would lay down and die the way they did. And I didn't think that the heat would, you know, I, I mean, they punched him in the mouth. Like, I, I think that that's one thing you can't take away. Sure. Did the Celtics kind of lay down a bit. Yeah. But I think part of that was because Miami punched him in the mouth and yeah. they didn't respond well to it. So, um, yeah, I, it, it's going to be interesting R- real quick. Um, who's been the biggest surprise to you though? Cause like the, uh, you know, we talked a lot about Jimmy Butler, but on Miami, um, it's been a really a, a, an interesting effort with the other role players on that team. Um, it's very anti bulls where it seems like there's, there's different guys stepping into to that role, right? If it's not Max Struess, it's Gabe Vincent. If it's not Gabe Vincent, it's Caleb Martin or it, who's been the most impressive outside of Jimmy Butler for you in this playoff run for the Heat? I think it has to be the guy that came a vote shy of, of getting the Eastern conference MVP, um, Eastern mm-hmm. conference finals MVP and Caleb Martin, oh, yeah. just the shots he was making. The moves he was making, just the fearlessness he played with, he looked like, you know, Jimmy Butler had put his heart inside of him. You know what I mean? And, and that's kind of a cliche. I know that there's been articles that have come out and talked about how Spo and Jimmy Butler galvanized this group to just play with a certain level of confidence and to the best of their abilities. But, man, there were some shots he hit um, Monday where I'm just like, wow, this, this, is, this is really happening. They are really – putting their foot on the gas. Like every time the Celtics kind of like they were stopping the run or um, starting to claw their way back, Caleb Martin would hit a shot or Jimmy Butler would. It was just, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was championship type stuff, man. It, it really was. If not Caleb Martin, I would say Duncan Robinson. Yes. I was just about to, <laughs> to chime in. I think Duncan Robinson coming back from the dead, like this guy was out of the rotation in Miami and you got to give him credit. Like he's, he stepped up and hit some big shots. I think, you know, you just the way he moves without the basketball too is really impressive. And I think that's been one of the big takeaways during this run. Um, but that, that just speaks to the way this team is coached that they just seem to get the best out of their roster, you know, and we are a bulls podcast. So to kind of put the bulls twist on it a little bit, it's, I think that's the other thing Like some of the, the folks in Bulls Nation and other content creators, it's kind of been the, the big observation is, you know, this this is the the difference, right, between the two organizations. Like the Bulls have this this roster of, you know, three big names and some other intriguing pieces. But for some reason, they're not able to get the most out of all of it. And, you know, there's younger players on the roster. They're not really able, it seems like, to tap into like the Miami heat have been able to tap into guys that are, are not necessarily, you know, higher draft picks, even, you know, guys that are second round picks or undrafted free agents. So yeah. it's, I think it's kind of that for me, a little bit of jealousy. I got to admit that you see that, that kind of happening. Um, and I just real quick, like kind of put a bow on this before we get into some other bulls talk. Um, you, know, you kind of see like the, I think some of the tweets are in jest, but some folks, you know, bring it up like, 
hey, if Miami could do this, like we just say the Bulls couldn't do this. Like the big difference, Jimmy Butler. Okay. Yeah. It all comes down to we talked about all the other player development, but there's still that superstar factor on the floor. There isn't a Jimmy Butler on the Chicago Bulls right now. As much as I like Zach Levine and as much as I admire the things that DeMar DeRozan's done, they don't have that extra gear that we've seen quite yet that Jimmy Butler seems to have right now. So that's the big difference. That's why the Bulls probably would have been exiting very early in round one to the Milwaukee Bucks for the second year in a row. So. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It's just, it's two different teams, man. Two different Mm -hmm. teams. As talented as the Bulls are, it's just certain things that, guys just have not bought into in terms of um, exacting their will on the game, whether that be defensively or cutting without the ball um, or using their teammates in a certain way or a lack of creativity maybe with Billy Donovan offensively to help kind of um, grease the wheels of the offense. It's just, it's, it's just, there's, there's levels to it, man. There's levels mm-hmm. to it. Um, not all superstars, not all, not every team's best player is built the same, you know? It's true. They came out they came out kind of clunky, but hopefully it made sense. Like, it's just, no, you know. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. It, there is a difference between the max effort that Jimmy Butler can give you when the lights are at their brightest versus what Zach can do. Now, could that change over time? Sure. I mean, it did take a while, I think, for Jimmy to even get to this level he's at. Like, I think he was, you know, he always had a, a grittiness about him and a toughness about him. But I even think just his game has, I think, even become more and more refined as as the years have gone on. So it's possible. Do I, am I banking on that with a guy like Zach Levine or I guess not even I, I wouldn't put DeMar DeRozan in that, but with Zach Levine, no, not really. Um, but you know, it's it's the truth though. Like where Jimmy Butler's at right now in his career versus where Zach Levine's at, there is a difference. So um and I think that's what, what Bulls fans are feeling today. Um so there are there have been some other rumblings going around, and I wanted to get to to a big one that that dropped today before we we started recording, and um, it it comes from from Shams, of course, uh, today saying that the Bulls are starting to talk with Nikola Vucevic about a new contract, and uh, I think my reaction to to that was well, no shit. Um, <laughs> I think we kind of all sense that if if we've been kind of paying attention to. You know what what's transpired since the trade deadline, uh, and then into the the off season here. So, um, I'll start with you. When you saw that nugget dropped, what was your kind of initial reaction about uh, this? You know, report from Shams. It wasn't that they were negotiating. It was more so. Hmm, I wonder how those talks are going. You know, what <laughs> what leverage is each side using against the other? Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of what my frame was. It wasn't a, a shock or a surprise because we. I mean, we saw this this coming a mile away because we were told this was going to be kind of the process, even dating back. I want to say um, before last season started. 
you know, and then on obviously to the trade deadline where Vucevic remained a bull, you had to kind of see the, the the writing on the wall in terms of them them being the front office wanting to try to negotiate some sort of deal with him because letting him walk or at least not even try to negotiate and meet him halfway just doesn't seem smart if you're trying to be competitive. Um, you know, for all the flack that he's gotten since he's been here, you know, we we know this. He's a, he's a double double um, double double guy um, with this team. He, in terms of connectivity, he's probably like the second most important player behind Lonzo Ball in terms of what he does with the ball, IQ wise, um, connecting both sides of the court screening for guys, getting guys open, um, having the ability to pick and roll and pick and pop. He's, he's, he's versatile in that way. Um, he just doesn't get the credit for, for being the player that he is. And that there's, there's obviously because they, they've had, they struggled so much outside of the first 35 games with Lonzo Ball. That's, that's just kind of comes with the territory, but mm-hmm. you know, if the idea is to remain competitive, he, I think, has to be on the roster mm. for now, at least. I, I think I think part of it always is like the trade is always going to be what looms over him. Right. The the fact that the price tag was as as high and it turned out to be as costly as it was in trying to restock the cupboard with pieces. Um, I think that's always going to kind of follow him un- unfairly at times, because I don't think. You know, he said, hey, you should trade me, trade for me and, you know, make sure that the picks are have soft lottery protections, too. Like, I don't think he he that's not his fault. Um, But this speculation, like you, you mentioned this, that like there's always been kind of talk since last offseason about bringing Vooch back or, or keeping him in the fold a little longer. You know, I, I think what really stands out to me, if you go back to Arturis Karnaschovas's press conference at the trade deadline. He, he made that clear too. like he's in our, you know, plans, our future plans. Like he brought that up uh, because I think there was a lot of shock. Like there wasn't a lot of rumblings or talk about moving from moving on from Vooch with an expiring contract. And, you know, unlike some of the other things that AK touched in the end of season press conference, where he basically wants everybody to come back and, you know, you kind of have to start doing the math and you'd have to go over the luxury tax to do that. So, uh, but given that this has sort of been lingering for a while, and I'd say given that he's made it clear, even at that trade deadline press conference, I think that if you read the tea leaves, that's, that's always been the cards when they didn't move them at the deadline. I think that's obvious that they were looking at trying to find ways to, to either bring them back or, work out that sign and trade. I think that to me that it makes sense. Like those are the only two avenues that they probably have in their sites. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. Now we just, we sit and wait until we, we find out what, what numbers were negotiated or what ends up being a figure that he, he signs for, or, you know, whether it be here or somewhere else. Yeah. And actually you, you dropped a good tweet before we came on here to record here on, on Tuesday, the 30th, um, what you, you brought up a good point of like what the salary structure looks like right now for centers in the league with 
you know, DeAndre Ayton being up there and and who's next. So could you could you share that with the listeners? Because I think it's a, a good tipping off point for talking about Vooch's salary. Yeah, I just was looking purely at uh, the salaries for next season and, and where it, it, it ranked among censors. Um, man, a lot of guys making a lot of money. I don't, you know, more power to everybody who is getting these millions. Um, but I thought it was interesting because DeAndre Aiden, I think he, he ranked out as the sixth or seventh highest paid center, or he will be the sixth or seventh highest, highest paid center for next season. And he's clocking in at $32.4 million. After that, it comes all the way down to $20.9 million, which is Miles Turner's salary. Mm. Um, and Clint Compella and Jared Allen are also making $20 million. And then there's another drop-off to $16.8 million, which is Yusef Nurkic's um, deal. So just looking at that and trying to see where Vucevic may fit in, um, I know there's there's more context to it than that, and it just doesn't it's not purely on you know where you think this guy is within the hierarchy of centers, but just kind of using that as a tool to predict where he might he might fall. So I, so Miles Turner, and who is the other the other center you said? So Turner, Capella, and Allen Turner are Capella. pretty much eight million dollars. Okay, now yeah. I mean if I'm the bulls, I'm looking at that and saying, well, those are slightly younger guys than, than you Vooch. But if I'm Vooch's people, I'm saying, uh, did you just see the season I had last year? And my game is ageless. I think that's the one thing that kind of works in, in Vooch's favor. Like he has a game that ages well, like he could be, I think 35, 36 and still provide a level of production that you'd say, all right, that's, that might be worth the salary, worth the money he's getting paid. Like, will he always be close to 17 and, and 10? No, probably not. But if he's still giving you 15 and eight at that age and at 20 million, I, I would take it, especially if he's doing it the same way he always does and being able to kind of operate from different points of the floor. I, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I could see his people trying to get, Kind of close to that. Like to me, the you had asked me uh, over text, you know, what's the what do you think the price tag is? And, and originally I said, I don't know, 17 to 20 million. But I mean, kind of seeing the context here, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he was able to get close to that 22 million dollar marker that he's had on his previous contract. So, you know, maybe it's more of a short term deal, like a two year contract. Maybe three with a with an option in there, but I, I could yeah. I could see something like that, close to like twenty to twenty two million a year. I mean, what do you think? Is that that a fair number, or would you go higher, or lower? So he made twenty two last season, and, and Casey Johnson of NBC Sports, you know, says that Vooch is going to want to go on some sort of pay raise. Man, it's like. Going higher than 22, it's not my money, of course, not our money, but just in terms of what it does to your flexibility elsewhere and knowing that you're already going to have a ceiling in terms of ownership not going into the luxury tax. You just, you know, there's got to be some sort of um, 
cap, you know what I'm saying, on, on, on what you're going to be willing to spend. But I think, I mean, I can see 22, too. I, I think I can see that as well. I was kind of looking around um, and seeing where other guys thought that he may land. I know Mark K of CHGO was saying maybe three years at $70 million with a partial guarantee in the last year. Yeah. Um, Guy Lee, also CHGO. Now, he was the lowest. He came in at three years, $54 million, which is about $18 million a year. Okay. Casey Johnson, I think, in his recent mailbag, um, was suggesting that he may get a two-year deal worth somewhere between forty-eight and fifty million dollars, or a three-year deal worth between sixty-six and seventy-two million dollars. So that's basically twenty-two million dollars a year to twenty-five million dollars a year. So you 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 know you're right to start thinking, man, maybe this guy is is going to command a little bit more. Yeah, and that that partial guarantee one that's an interesting one to me, and I, I think that's some kind of contract I could see being palatable for a team like the bulls and, you know, possibly palatable. If you're thinking what's a contract that I also, I can potentially move if I need to. Right. Um, I mean, look, I, I think one of the reasons I would be okay supporting it. If, if I couldn't do a sign and trade and I I'm bringing him back, I'm kind of extending my opportunity to collect assets down the road. Do I wish they would start doing that now? Absolutely. <laughs> but the next best route would be having him back, seeing if there's something you can salvage with him, maybe Zach, a different kind of profile of a team, and then cutting my losses if if that doesn't work out. Um, yeah. my, my big thing is like if you're the Bulls, whatever you do, Pivot quickly. I, I mean, technically, that that should be doing it right now. But if you decide, like we've talked about, moving on from Demar Derozan and changing the shot profile of the team, like we're we're not breaking any new ground here. I think there's been a lot of other Bulls content creators that have kind of talked about that type of change within the Bulls, right? So if if that's the route you go. And let's say you, you bring in a younger player, you bring in a first round draft pick, you have Zach Levine, you bring back Kobe White, you still have Patrick Williams, and you bring back Nikola Vucevic. You do that, and it still doesn't work out, or you're kind of flirting in that same territory you did last year. And to me, when you get to the trade deadline, that's when you are you are hitting that that button to sell. Like right at that point to me, that's when you start start the the process of recouping assets. Um, You know, it could be smaller sell-offs and then maybe in the summer with, with Vooch and, and Zach, you try to move unless both are having subpar seasons. Yeah. That's the only risk you run here. Um, You're never going to get close to the value you got from that Orlando trade. Like you're not going to be able to recoup it that much, but you know, I, if he's still somewhat productive, and again, there's that ageless game factor with him, maybe at the very least you can, I think you'll be able to get something of of substance. You know, even if it's a, a year later on a contract that is, again, pretty decent for you know, what the going rate for centers are, you know. Um, and who knows, with the new CBA coming and everything, it, it, it might be a easy enough contract to move to.
Yeah, I think I, you know, only thing I, I would I would hope is that they don't include a player option. Like leave yeah. leave the Google room. You know, you don't you don't want to hamstring yourself um down the road. Yeah, I mean they they love to give centers player options. I mean, Tony Bradley and Andre Drummond both had player options on on their contracts. Now much smaller scale, but you know, I hopefully they don't follow that trend. I kind of agree with the yeah, I'd like to see a team option. Not a lot of players like to do that. So if you could do like some level of partial guarantee, um, maybe to sweeten the deal a little bit. Um, who knows? Maybe it can help bring your per year annual salary down. Awesome. Yeah. But you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I don't know. Is there, is there a dollar amount for you that would be too, too rich for your blood? Like, is there a per year number that you're saying? No, thank you. Um, I, I would say like anything over 25, but I don't even think that's, I don't, I don't necessarily know that Vooch is going to be aiming like his, 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 uh, sights to be set that high anyway. Um, again, it's just all about trying to find that middle ground with him, obviously, but then also leave yourself some wiggle room. Cause you still have to figure out what you're going to do with Kobe white and I Um, and you still got to add shooting, uh, particularly, hopefully, from the point guard position. Um, so it's just all about trying to remain as flexible as as, as you can. Uh, for me, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know, man. Do you, do you have a specific dollar amount in mind where it's like, ooh, that's a little too rich? From Well, I think that would be a little too rich for my blood. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'll be a little queasy above 22 <laughs> A year like if he goes if he asks for that pay raise i i have a little trouble doing that just based on his age and again i know i just said he has an ageless game but i mean there's still a little bit of risk involved when a player gets older right so i think i'd be okay kind of sticking with 22 as my high bar mm-hmm. i would feel queasy if i hear it's 20 23 24 25 i think above 25 i would i might go from queasy to vomiting because at that point yeah. what <laughs> i was gonna say i think uh either i brought it up here on the podcast or tweeted but i wonder if there was any opportunity for the bulls to talk extension talk before mm. like following that first season he had with the bulls first full season and it was like I, man he, can you try to get him a little bit cheaper than you know kind of strike while he's in a little bit of a downturn i feel like vooch probably was smart enough because we did hear the rumblings about getting into that contract talk. I wouldn't be surprised if Vooch and his people were like, eh, maybe take the risk this season. Yeah. Like see if you can bounce back. Cause maybe last year was an anomaly, you know? Um, and it was a, a risk probably good on his part, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the bulls tried to engage in those talks. Um, Cause I, you know, you kind of remember as we were kind of getting closer to, like I think about a month before the Bulls training camp. I remember, I think we had dropped a pod before we took a little hiatus and that was coming off the rumblings about Vooch's contract. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did start that, but who knows? Like I'm sure 
you know, if you're Bulls management, you're kicking yourself that you didn't maybe try a little harder, <laughs> you know, that you didn't try to maybe get a little creative to kind of entice him to take that deal because, you know, I mean, if you were looking back at last year, you know, if you gave Vooch instead of like the, the two year 20, whatever million dollar, con- like $22 million a year contract, $23 million a year contract. And instead you gave him three years and 16. Is that more palatable or is it better to kind of pay a little extra, but shave off that extra season? You know, that's the other thing too, because maybe they would have, maybe that would have been the route on Vooch's side of all, well, you know, Hey, if I'm going to take a little less per year, I, I want a little more insurance with an extra year. Like that's also possible. So yeah. it, I, it is definitely like, I, you kind of wish you're a fly on the wall for those negotiations because um, if I'm Vooch, like, and, and his representation, I'm, I'm not coming back cheap if if I don't have to. And you kind of wonder, like, what's the buzz around the rest of the league? Like, I think that that's the only thing that maybe the Bulls have a little leverage with is who else is really looking for that kind of player right now? Like, yeah, I feel like the Bulls have some they have some swords in this fight, too. You know, yeah. the only only teams with with cap space, I believe, are the Rockets, Pacers, Spurs, Magic and Pistons. Um do you see Vucevic wanting to play for any of those teams? Maybe going back to Orlando. Like, there's been some kind of smoke around that, but, I mean, I don't know. Like, Wendell Carter might be a little ticked. And that, that I think, would be – man, that would be, like, the biggest, like, I think, gut punch to Bulls fans, especially if there's no sign-and-trade involved. And even if there was a sign-and-trade, who knows what – we'd probably end up sending a, a pick back you know, <laughs> the way that, you know, my, the magic have, you know, bent us over. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> hey, don't know. Um, I think, <laughs> but you're right. Like there's any one of those teams I wouldn't see as like knocking down the door for Vooch. I mean, Houston, you know, there's talk about them wanting to add more of like a veteran presence on their team. Um. You know, you keep hearing that with Houston and Detroit. I mean, Detroit's got like every center in the league right now. So I don't think that's going to happen. I, yeah, it's it's hard to predict. It really is hard to predict where else Vooch could go. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think like I love the fact that you're you're also getting into contract talks with them because you're kind of at least operating in a little bit of good faith too, where maybe there could be sign and trade talks because of that where, you know, Vooch might try to, you know, try to work with the team he's looking to go to, but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to project where he'll find a home, you know? And and so we don't know what other teams might also be moving some pieces to, you know, maybe open the door for, for an opportunity to. Yeah. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. Like the Bulls need Vooch, Theoretically, again, if they are really sold on the idea of keeping everybody or most everybody together, they need Vooch seemingly as much as he needs them. Like, yeah, I just don't know another opportunity 
for him in terms of, you know, being in the hunt for a playoff spot um, and also still being a starter. You know, you mm-hmm. mentioned Houston. You mentioned Orlando. Are we sure he'd be starting those spots? Like, you know, Alperine Sangoon is like – Yeah. <laughs> every, like, diehard basketball fan's, like, almost favorite uh, young center in the league. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, man. And Wendell Carter Jr. is, is has seemingly found a home in Orlando. Unless you plan on sliding him in at the four, but then you're kind of like, again, everybody's getting impacted by a move like that, too. So, yeah, I don't – it's hard to find a home for him. It really is. Yeah. So, that's that could be a little bit of a, a chip the Bulls play, too, as well. You know, hey, we're willing to, to give you a pretty good, you know, rate given your age and really – Hey, if you if you can find the opportunity to go someplace else, like let us talk to you. Maybe we can, you know, meet it. But maybe that's a risk they're they're willing to take. But you know, again, you run into the issue though of not being able to eventually recoup any assets, and that's that's a scary proposition. If you kind of let him test those waters or are not trying to stay in good graces with his camp or try to, you know, work with him. Like the, the bulls are in a really hard spot with that. So um, I don't envy Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas for the work they're going to have to do with him or, or any of uh, any potential sign and trade, whatever it is this summer. Yeah, but it's, it's the bed they made. That's true. <laughs> exactly. That's why they pay them the, the big bucks to run an NBA franchise. So I guess we shouldn't feel too bad for them. Um, I did want to get into a couple like little, little other rumblings too that have kind of swirled around the bulls. One of them, there was a, a report. You kind of made a good point here. Was this really a, a report or not? So last week, Mike Scoto from from hoops hype threw it out there that Derek Rose, if he's looking for a team that he could be interested in, it was one of those things that like NBA Twitter and especially bulls Twitter, like ran with. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, in my opinion, I think the Chicago bulls make a ton of sense for Derek Rose and free agency. It would be a nice homecoming for him towards the end of his career. We saw when he was back in town how beloved he still is by that fan base, yada, yada, yada. But basically that part about how the Chicago Bulls make a ton of sense for Derrick Rose, not the other way around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, it, I get it. Like, if you're I, – I love to use this term, and it's not supposed to be a mean term, but you, you've ever heard the term out-of-town stupid? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I get it like from far away, if you're a casual NBA observer or you're a beat writer for another team or you're covering other parts of the league, you know, you only have like surface level or high level views of other situations possibly, right? You can't be so ensconced with every team. So it doesn't surprise me. Maybe he looks and says, well, they need a point guard. Derrick Rose is a point guard. Derek Rose still might have a little something left in the tank. I actually do believe that. I think 
you know, he fell out of the rotation because of younger players, but you know, he's been pretty productive when he's been on the floor. And I think, you know, last year we saw some, you know, good numbers from Derek, well, not just last year, the last two years, but it doesn't surprise me that this was probably like just a, a quick observation of, okay, Bulls need a point guard. Derek Rose still has something left. Makes perfect sense. But I know you've said this to me. It doesn't really seem like a good fit. We even talked about this last year where there was some speculation, trade deadline speculation. Like when it's come up, we've both kind of agreed. Like it just doesn't seem like the right kind of fit from a basketball sense. Nah, you know, he, we're always going to love Derrick Rose, but he is not quite what the Bulls need. And if he's not going to play, if he's not going to be a starting point guard, which I don't think he can be just because of health issues and the fact that he hasn't played or didn't play very much this season, what are we really doing? Like you're putting him on the bench, possibly next to Kobe and Ayo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it, uh, yeah. I think that you're right. Like at that point, okay, so you're just going to rob Kobe of touches and minutes. You're going to rob IO of touches and minutes, unless you plan on letting IO walk. And at that point, it's like that, that's to me, that's a reckless kind of move to say, all right, well, our second round pick who, you know, we could develop, we're going to let him walk so we can bring in a, a veteran point guard with maybe, I know two to three years left in the tank at best. So it just comes off as a very reckless move at that point. So um, the only way that I could see it maybe making sense is if you, you know, pulled off the, the move to try to get the number three pick you draft Scoot Henderson. At that point, then maybe the profile of your team changes where it's like, I want a veteran to nurture him to, you know, mentor him a little bit. I'll still bring back Kobe white, but Kobe's maybe taking on a different role in that case. Like maybe he's not a pure, pure point guard. And in some cases, maybe Derek's not the pure, pure point guard on that team, even off the bench. But maybe in that case, that's the only way you could probably justify saying, you know, by the, by the IO to make a move like that. But, you know, again, that's, going to be a tough thing to pull off so it, it's not likely or realistic so um yeah. i think it's just always everybody wants that good story of a of a derrick rose reunion i think the derrick rose reunion was probably at its realist in the summer of 2021 like if you remember the alex before alex caruso was signed derrick rose signed with the knicks and there was a lot of rumblings that lonzo and derrick were going to kind of be the one-two punch Derek coming off the bench Lonzo starting. So, you know, I think that ship sailed at that moment when he went back to New York. Agreed. Agreed. That's an interesting point you brought up. You know, there was some way the Bulls could trade and and draft uh, Scoot Henderson, um, a guy who's been compared to the Derek Rose of old. Like that would be, that would be a very interesting combination. Just not even in terms of encore, but just what Derek can teach Scoot and um, just to kind of see that type of uh, mentorship, what he could provide in, in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
honestly, like the addition of a point guard, like I, the thing with, with Derek, he's so at his best, even now, you know, in his thirties, he's still so ball dominant that if you're bringing him in and you're running the, you're doing the run it back option. I don't see the fit at all with, with Zach even, or, or DeMar, um, you know, and again, even if you're changing the profile, the young guys get hurt in that case, but just as is, it really doesn't seem to make much sense to, to bring them into the fold, you know, um, I think, and, and there was a, you know, when you looked at the, the move made post deadline for Pat Beverly, Pat Beverly brings a different wrinkle, you know, to that bulls team and, and brought a different wrinkle to that bulls team. And I think even bringing him back, and I'm not a big fan of that, but even bringing him back would make way more sense than than a Derrick Rose. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, we're in agreement there. As again, it's just it's nothing against Derrick. It's just he's not the puzzle piece that's gonna fit squarely into what the Bulls have here right now and, and the direction they're trying to go. Yeah, you need you need somebody that is either gonna be if you're looking to keep Zach in the fold. And especially if, if Nikola Vucevic comes back, we, we can take DeMar out of the equation if you want. But you're going to need somebody that is able to distribute in the half court, push the ball up the floor, and work off ball if he's going to shoot. So basically, you need somebody that's even close to a poor man's Lonzo, which Pepev kind of could do. Not to the extent that Lonzo can. And I think even with like three point shooting, it was too erratic. But you know what I mean? Like Absolutely. you have to have something closer to that profile with the current team you have. So yeah, it it wouldn't make much much sense, but it's always interesting to talk about. And who knows, maybe yeah. one day. I, I think I think we're looking at the one day contract goodbye press conference. I, I don't ever anticipate him in a Bulls uniform, but you know, I guess you never say never, but I think the clock's kind of ticking and, and running out on that happening. So I can see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I guess before we wrap up, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it definitely made its rounds towards the end of last week early and still is kind of having a little bit of a ripple effect on Bulls podcasts. And um on Chicago Sports Radio. And I will say, um, you know, if CEO Hayes is listening, like, okay, you don't have to flog me. I'm a little late on this. But <laughs> the the Scotty Pippen discourse has been very interesting. Um, uh, and I just want to get your your initial thoughts here. And I think everybody that's listening knows that's been kind of paying attention, whether it's other Bulls podcasts, the uh, you know, replayed clips from the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast uh, interview that Scotty did with Stacey King. Um, you know, it, I mean, look, I feel like Scotty has been saying crazy things for the last 10, 12 years now. Um, and it's just sad. I guess that's all I'll say. It's just it's just sad to see Scotty 
kind of taking this this course of action, this route. Um, I don't know if it's for attention. I don't know if just the things that have gone on in his personal life have kind of made him a little, I don't know, unstable. I don't know, but it's yeah. sad to see because, you know, as somebody that grew up watching him and Michael in the 90s and being a big advocate for for him when other fan bases kind of took their shots at Scotty um, and really kind of trying to always prop him up against some of the modern players now to, to kind of showcase really how special he was at a at a time when he was a unicorn, you know, um, I think there's a lot of guys that kind of have started to, you know, fit that profile as a, as a point forward in the NBA. Um, so it's just kind of sad to see him kind of coming out here, taking shots at Michael, taking shots at, at Phil, although Phil's kind of on his own level of crazy right now, but that's always been the case with Phil. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what, what are just real quickly, what are some of your, I guess, thoughts with, some of Scotty's comments on the give me the hot sauce podcast about, about Michael Phil and, and his time with the bulls. I guess I would just, I would want to know what is it, what is it that Scotty wants or feels that he's lacking? What, what merits does he feel like he doesn't have, or what flowers does he feel like he hasn't been mm. given? So he really didn't say he, these are all old takes that he's just given a new spin on, you know, Right. His comment about Michael Jordan being a horrible player before he got there and horrible to play with. When somebody starts saying things that are just, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I kind of just tune out a little bit and um, he just, he's, he's become, he just comes off as very bitter and has come off as being very bitter um, for the past few years now, if not longer. Um, he contradicts himself um, almost in, in, in the same podcast, if not from the time that he gave his Hall of Fame acceptance speech to now. Like, there's just a lot of yeah. conflicting, conflicting statements that he's made. And obviously, you touched on it just a little bit, but you just you just wonder um, how much of this is for lack of a better word, him kind of acting out because of what's going on in his personal life, losing his son, um, his ex-wife, uh, being in a relationship with one of Michael Jordan's sons. Like, you know, there's a lot of layers to this and I just hope that he finds finds peace. You know, I, I wasn't laughing at it. It was just more so, man, I, I just hope Scotty's okay or has people in his corner or can get people in his corner to help validate him, whatever it is he's feeling, whatever it is that he's not at peace with. I just hope that he finds that. And the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, I didn't feel any type of way about Stacey King not pushing back to the things that Scottie Pippen was saying, but I was a little taken aback by his response mm. to people saying that he should have pushed back. You know, I think he made some comments on Twitter about, how, you know, he asked people on his podcast who are friends, former teammates, coaches, and the such, and that he doesn't bring them on to ambush them. And yeah. while I understand what he's saying, I don't think he had to had to ambush Scottie Pippen in order to 
kind of steer the conversation a certain way or just kind of peel back what it was that Scotty was saying and kind of call him out um, a little bit and just ask him, you know, why, you know, just this is the greatest player arguably in the history of sports, not just basketball. You know, where where is some of these things coming from? Why do you have so much animosity? Because it almost seemed like a lot of things that Scotty was saying, he was just finding a way to bring Michael Jordan into the conversation. Yeah. I don't think he was necessarily prompted to a lot. So that that just struck a nerve with me a little bit, you know, respect to, to Stacey King and, and Mark Shanowski and um, Tommy Whispers, I believe it is, is, is mm-hmm. their third call. Uh, they do great work over there. But I just didn't – the reasoning he gave for not kind of questioning some of what Scotty was saying – questioning is not the real – it's not the right word. That's not what I want to come off as of saying, but just – interview the interview itself it just the way the way that it went and the reasons he gave for it just didn't quite jive with me well you know and and there's a difference i think an ambush would be as if you came right off the bat and you came out swinging with questions about a your comments you know during the last dance blah 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 like if you came out swinging with that um that that's more of an ambush and if scotty was like hey i, I don't really want to talk about it or whatever and then keep saying, I, I don't really want to address it or whatever. And you keep asking, that's an ambush. Um, but to your point, Scotty's the one looping that into the discussion. At that point, and honestly, like, I think Stacy should have found ways to do it. But if Stacy's not comfortable, Mark Shanowski's sitting right there. And I'm not going to. Rip Mark Shanowski, I, I think he's done a great job, like analyzing the Bulls for years and and being around the team and bringing a lot of great insight. But he's a journalist, like he also should know. Hey, you know what? Maybe I need to follow up with just a quick question, like I, that. I think was a little disappointing. Like neither one of them really pushed, and you know, if if not for Stacy, I I feel like. Mark Shanowski should have at least known like Stacy's not a journalist at all, right? He's just a, he's a former player. He's a broadcaster. Mark Shanowski, you know, was a reporter. Okay. Initially before he did pre post and did all that, he was working for NBC for years as, Mm -hmm. as a reporter and then for ABC seven. So, and come on, he could have come back with a couple of questions for, for Scotty Pippen to, to address that, you know, and address some of the things that he's said, because he brought it in. He brought it into the interview. It was nobody else asked him about, you know, anything related to his comments post last dance. It was, it was all driven by Scotty. So, you know, one of them, I, I agree, could have stepped in there and kind of uh, addressed it or followed it up to some of that. Yeah. And one thing I always wanted to know, even, you know, as I'm thinking back to the last dance and, and the things that were, were brought to light. We know Michael Jordan was a hard ass teammate, but I don't I don't think we've ever learned of him being a hard ass teammate with Scotty. Like, I like to know what that early relationship was like and mm-hmm. um, what type of battles they may have 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 fought with each other, um, figuratively speaking, in practice, just the type of personality that, that Jordan is and a leader and 
um, how hell bent he is on winning and pushing people to their limits. Like, I just wonder if Scotty experienced that personally. You know, we hear all these stories about him and Scott Burrell and Steve Kerr, um, other teammates that he's had, but I would have, I would like to still know were there any of those encounters with Scottie Pippen, not even necessarily physical, but just, you know, what was that like if they did occur? Was there any pushback for, on, on Scotty's behalf? Um, if there was some friction, what smoothed it over in the moment or in, in, yeah. in, the, in the days or years after? Yeah, and it, I feel like there's there's been a lot of rumors and speculation about what's driven this from Scotty. Um, you know, it, I think people kind of forget there was an odd comment I remember he made, and I brought it up to you when we were offline. Uh, in 2011, after the Bulls and Heat faced off in the Eastern Conference Finals, and it was the day, I think, after the Heat had knocked the Bulls out, uh, I remember Scotty got on um, on ESPN. I think it was either Mike and Mike in the morning at the time or first take, and, you know, said something along the lines of, you know, you got to acknowledge it that, you know, LeBron is, is the greatest of all time or the best player ever, like something along those lines. And I remember he had to walk it back a little bit and he, he did walk it back because people were ready to go after him. And this was, I think when he was at that time working for the bulls as an ambassador. So I wonder if there's always sort of been this, um, I, I don't want resentment. I don't know if that's the right word, but but some type of you know something harboring in him a bit. And I think some of the things that have kind of transpired in the last 10, 12 years too. Um, you know, you mentioned when when we were talking, like Scotty's lost his son. You know, he's had a very public marriage with his ex-wife Larsa, and they're, you know what's going on with her now and her dating one of Michael's sons. Who knows? Like there's, there's a lot there that, you know, could be kind of now bring all this out. And and maybe the last dance was, was the final straw um, Mm -hmm. in all of it. But, you know, even, even with the last dance, I still don't get how, I mean, I don't think Scotty came out looking bad by design and i don't even think he looked that bad you know I, I know the the i didn't want to ruin my fucking summer thing and the 1.8 seconds but those were always there like people always knew this mm-hmm. and nobody cared that much you know like so i don't know you know what's kind of you know caused that but it's unfortunate because both those guys together, I mean, they create magic. They're one of the best duos in the history of sports, easily in the history of Chicago sports. Like, it's it's sad to kind of see that relationship fall apart because, uh, you know, we all have a lot of good memories from it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And even even with all this stuff coming out, it doesn't – I heard some people say that it, it's, it's starting to kind of taint their experience – as a Bulls fan going through those times, having lived through those championships and and, and those eras, it hasn't done that for me. Like I still have um, fond memories of those teams and the runs they went on. It's just more of a, damn, we really don't know what's going on behind the scenes or, you Mm -hmm. know, what's going through or what they feel towards somebody. 
And again, that's assuming that Scotty had those feelings in those moments, um, which may not even be a good thing to do because it seems like everything has kind of happened after the fact. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll tell you what, kind of put a bow on it. I mean, it does seem like drama seems to find the Chicago Bulls, but when you're winning, it's very easy to mask that drama, right? You, if you have players that, like we were talking about with Jimmy Butler, like trying to raise everybody's level, people like Michael and Scotty, right, that brought in a winning culture to the Bulls. I mean, all that drama behind the scenes was a little quieter over the years, and, and they were able to win six championships because of it. Uh, it did kind of boil over at the end, but you know, when you don't have those caliber of players and you're not able to find them or develop them in house, you kind of just continue to have drama that drowns it all out or just seems to always find you. So just saying, (laughs) just saying drew any, any final thoughts just before we wrap up here on, on any of the bulls rumblings, the, uh, anything on your mind or um uh, just hoping that these NBA finals which start Thursday are competitive and we get some good games and regardless of who wins we just see some good basketball being played and um again I, I'm I'm guessing that the different nuggets are going to win but I'm leaving some room for the heat to Surprise us all once, once more, and bring a championship back to Miami. So I copped out and said Nuggets and six. What are you saying? I'm, oh man, I'm gonna say Nuggets and five. Nuggets and it five. Hurt. So hurts to say that, man. So the Heat stealing game one and then going out in the next four. I, I think so. I think so. I feel like I'm a, I'm going to regret saying five. You know, so I, think, I think it'll go closer to what you're saying. It could be like, you know, back in the day with the Fibs Bulls, right? Like there were there were some series where on paper you thought they were overmatched, but they come out and win that first game. They did it in the 2011 conference finals. They did it against the Heat, I think, a couple of years later. Um and there would be games after that that were still wildly competitive. Like the the you know, margin of victory was still very thin, but you know, just like the the better team rose above it. I get that feeling too. I'm gonna be no matter what. I don't think the Heat are gonna lie down. That's been evident even before we got to the the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Um, so I think they're gonna continue to give it the effort they need to. The Nuggets are capable of matching that effort level. I think that's the one thing that. I don't think we've seen yet. And I, I feel like Jokic is also on a mission and also has somebody that has taken his game to another level this postseason. So I think that's the difference. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I can't disagree with you. Well, I mean, you, you can always disagree with me. That's fine. <laughs> if you, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, if you can bulls nation, please give us a follow. We're on Twitter. I'm at mgentile88. Drew's at look what Drew did. The Rebuildable Podcast is at rebuild underscore a underscore bull. Get a lot of our thoughts there. Uh, the latest episodes drop on Twitter. Um, 
through our feeds, through the Rebuildable Podcast feed. So definitely pay attention and give us a follow if you if you aren't following us already. But if you're kind of skittish about Twitter and sometimes these updates they're making lately, it's it's hard to keep track of tweets and the following for you. It kind of makes things a pain. I would just subscribe, right, Drew? When you just like make it easy on yourself, subscribe on a platform yeah. where you stream. Make life easier, man. Yeah. Life is hard as it is, you know. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't fuck around. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe, subscribe on anywhere where you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, Stitcher, anywhere where you stream podcasts, you'll be able to find Rebuildable Podcast, and we we would appreciate it. Again, you'll get the latest episode immediately when it drops. With Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. We'll be back soon with some more discussion this offseason. It should be fun. So take it easy and enjoy the NBA Finals. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.